Okay. Well, today is uh, an exciting adventure. It's our next, as, uh, as Matt said, our next sermon in our exploration of the book of 1 Kings uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm hoping today that you learn some new things about Solomon. Uh, but it, it isn't just a history lesson, uh, but it has some practical application for us as well. So we need God's help for that. So how about we pray together and ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that's been read. We thank you, Father, that it's been preserved from 3,000 years ago. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might not just hear history today, but we might hear you speaking, and that by your Holy Spirit you might challenge us and change us. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, have you heard of Solomon before, i.e. before the reading that we just had? Have you heard of him before? Okay. If you've heard of Solomon before, you've probably heard a little bit about his life. Today we're going to fill in some of the blanks, some of the bits and pieces that you may not know. Along the way, we're going to be exploring a life that in, in so many different ways was quite extraordinary. Uh, Solomon, first of all, it, it's worth saying, is not King David, who was the king before him, is not King David's eldest son. Did you know that? Solomon is not King David's eldest son. So who would become the king after David normally? His eldest son. Now we're not going to go into the excitement there. You can read at the start of 1 Kings to find out about that. But suffice to say, even Solomon coming to the kingdom is actually quite an unusual story. Does anyone know who his mum was? Someone call it out? Bathsheba. So Bathsheba, actually the, the person who you recall, one of the most famous sinful incidents in King David's life when he had an affair with another man's wife. That's the mother of King Solomon. So in in so many ways, King Solomon arriving at the throne is completely extraordinary. Today, I want us to pick up the story. It's going to be very hard to follow along. If you've got your Bible open at at 1 Kings, you can at least flip to the chapters I'm in and be, be able to have a look at some of the headings as we go through. But I'll have most of it up on the screen, basically, to help us. Where I want to pick up the story this morning is as King David, the great King David, is dying and he's talking to his son who is going to become king. So have a look with me at 2 Kings, oh, sorry, 1 Kings, uh, chapter 2. Uh, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong. I'm in verse 2. So be strong and act like a man and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So what's what's going on? David says, here's what I've learnt. I've learnt, my son, that you will do well to trust the Lord your God. And if you do, God will be faithful to the promise he made to me, to always have one of his sons on my throne. So... We start off with Solomon. He's been given the right advice. Love God. Obey him and it will go well for you. Will he, that's the challenge of the story, will he be faithful 
and listen to the advice his dying father gave him. Now, we probably spot that a little bit by having the second reading, but hang with me. It's an exciting adventure to find out. What we're going to do as we go through the story is I want us to listen to the different parts along the way and I want you to evaluate with me, is Solomon on the up? Is he plateauing or is the whole thing crashing to ground? And we're going to do it using these little stoplights that I've got up here. So the green light will be when Solomon is acting in a way that's wise. Okay? The orange light is when he should be warned that what he's about to do is potentially a problem. And the red light is when he's wandering from the good way that his father David put him on. You with me? So green light when he's wise, living in a way that's pleasing to God. Orange when he's warned and red when he's wandering and he's gone the wrong way. Okay, so that's how we're going to judge uh, the rise and fall of King Solomon. Well, the first part of this story starts in chapter 3. And I thought I'd summarise chapter 3 with Tim Tams and two mothers. Tim Tams and two mothers. The Tim Tams one, I don't know if you remember, it was some time, some time ago. Uh, Tim Tams had an ad on TV where they had a Tim Tam genie. Do, do, do you remember this ad? And the, the, the Tim Tam genie, they open the packet of Tim Tams and the genie comes out and says, yeah, 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 three wishes and all of that. What do you wish for? And uh, does anyone remember what they wish for? Yeah, a never-ending packet of Tim Tams. That was, <laughs> I reckon that's a wasted wish, but, but Tim Tams are good, aren't they? Well, the reality is, in this chapter, in chapter 3, King Solomon has a Tim Tam genie moment, not with a make-believe genie, but with the God of the universe. Have a look with me at chapter 3, and we're going to see chapter 3, and I think it's verse 5, it says this, At Gibeon... The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Brothers and sisters, I do not know any place in the whole rest of scripture that anybody gets this offer. It's extraordinary. The God of the universe who's sustaining stars and galaxies, who's growing plants and holding atoms together, that God appears in a dream to this king and says, hey, what do you want? Now, what would you say if God said to you, I will give you anything that you want? What would you say? And please don't tell me Tim Tams, because that would be the wrong answer. So think for a bit, what would you want? What would you ask for if you were given anything you want? Got it in mind? Have a listen to how this young king, King David, answers the question. Have a look with me at verse 7. Now, Lord God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count in number. So... Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Now that's a pretty good answer, isn't it? I want you to note what happens next because it's equally extraordinary. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased. 
that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realised it was a dream. Now, isn't that amazing? By the way, isn't that the best answer you could have possibly come up with? First of all, God's pleased with what he said. Second of all, God gives him all the things that he could have asked for and didn't. How gracious is God? Why do you think he gave it to him? I think because the first answer was so brilliant. Here's what I'm going to observe. Humility and character are key to God. He loves it. Humility and the desire for right character. God loves it. And that's why he was able to entrust to him all these other things. Because if you will have that character, I can trust you with these things. The next section I've called Peace and Proverbs. Peace and Proverbs. So God establishes Solomon, gives him wisdom unlike anybody else in the world has ever had or will ever have. That's what it says there. And God does some things for him that enable him to get creative. Uh, If we go to chapter 4 and verse 24, 4 and verse 24, we can see this. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safely, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. They had peace on all sides. Now, if you're a king, does that sound good? Better believe it, baby, because I can, I, can, I can concentrate on other things. If it's not peaceful, you will spend your life doing what? Protecting your kingdom. You'll be worried about politics and alliances and threats to your border and how to pay your army and you'll be caught up in all of that. Now, God graciously gave to Solomon peace. And I think it's profoundly because he had peace that Solomon was able to get on with what he did next. Uh, If you have a look with me at verses 29 of chapter 4, verses 29 to 33. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the, people, all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including, imagine this guy's, Ethan the Ezraite. Wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. I know you can't believe that. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,000 and five. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He also spoke about animals and birds, fish and reptiles. From all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. 
Now, I don't know what you get up to. Does anyone here write poetry? Stories? No one has time for such things, do we? We're all too busy getting on with whatever it is that we do during the week. God had gifted Solomon with wisdom, and he didn't just keep it to himself, sitting at home thinking, I can't waste my wisdom on these terrible dunderheads outside. I'm going to keep it all to myself. In fact, he wrote it down. See how many proverbs he wrote? 3,000. He's responsible for a good part of our book book of Proverbs. He also wrote Song of Songs. So one of the songs that he wrote, which is another book in our Bible. Uh, and Ecclesiastes, I think we were talking about that when we met before. Um, it, it's my, my proposition that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as well. Solomon was prodigious. The bit I want you to notice, though, have a look at the little traffic light. Green, I think he's being wise. The blessing overflowed. So God blessed Solomon. Solomon was a receptacle of blessing and wisdom, but he didn't keep it to himself. He wrote it down. He shared his wisdom with people. Incidentally, if you have, has anyone read Proverbs recently? Gee, it's great. Just get in there and have a look. It's little pithy sayings that help you make the best of life. And what they are is little potted bits of wisdom. And Solomon shared them. In fact, he shared 3,000 of them. If you read the book of Proverbs, you'll see that every now and again he got on a theme that he liked. And it probably popped up in a couple of different ways. Um, but, you know, things from consider the ant, you sluggard. It, it, in other words, look at the ants. They work really hard and they feed themselves. You're not going to get on if you don't do any work. Um, to the famous one, it's better to live in the corner of a, of a roof than to live with a nagging wife. That's the... Uh... Now, if you think for a second, he had how many wives? 700. He probably knew something about that, I'm guessing. Anyway, the point being here, he's using his wisdom, green light. The blessing that he received overflowed into the nation of Israel. Brilliant. Good times. This next section I've called One for You and One for Me. And it's about Solomon's amazing building program that he undertook. The one for you is, in fact, the temple that he built for God. You might remember that David had been told that he couldn't build a temple for God. And the reason for that was God said, you've shed too much blood. Interestingly enough, you know, David had been a great and mighty warrior, but God said, you can't. You're not the one who will build my temple. Your son will build my temple. And so Solomon got on and built the temple. And it was in every way extraordinary. Now, next week, Matthew is going to come and talk to us about the nature of the temple, why it was made the way it was, and what its function and purpose was. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But I want you to have a quick look and see. It's not that they like canary yellow paint inside the temple. Every single part of the inside of that temple was covered in gold. Every instrument that was used inside the temple was made of Gold. Everything was gold. It was the most elaborate and extraordinary structure that the ancient world had seen. It was a truly remarkable building. And the thing that capped it off was the thing that was in the middle of it, which was here, the Ark of the Covenant. God's covenant 
that he had made with Moses and the people of Israel in a box had been placed in the middle of that building. And we're going to see something about that in a second. So this is the building that King Solomon built for God. One for you. Now, while he was on a building bent and he had lots of cash, he also built something else. He built something for himself. One for me. He built for himself an incredible palace. An incredible palace. And he made a hall for judging in and he did all sorts of extraordinary things. This was a truly remarkable and extravagant building. I want you to see something about this building. Incidentally, has anyone been to the Art Gallery of New South Wales? If you have, and you wander around, you can actually see this painting about this big, like truly extraordinarily huge painting of this scene, which is the Queen of Sheba coming to visit King Solomon. And if you have a look at that, it's an artist's impression, of course, but it's an extraordinary painting of what Solomon's palace probably looked like. One for you, one for me. Let's find it in the Bible. Uh, Let's have a look at the end of 1 Kings uh, chapter 6 and verse 37. So 1 Kings chapter 6. Uh, It tells you all about the temple, and I'm trusting Matthew because we had a chat about it earlier this week that he'll do a really good job of explaining all that. If you have a look at verse 37, it says, The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year in the month of Zib. In the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I want you to note the next line. Have a look at 7.1. It took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. I just thought that was a pretty interesting thing to sit next to each other, wasn't it? Yes, God, we are going to build a temple for you. It's going to be awesome. And that will take seven years. And I'm going to take 13 years to do my own one. Anyway, what I want you to see... I think there's a green light here. Solomon obviously wants to honour God. He builds a temple. But I'm going to put a little amber light up there as well and just say, whose glory is highest? Could he have spent a little bit less time on his own palace? Possibly. And all I want to do is just note here the little seed of doubt which says, whose glory is Solomon most pursuing? Because I think the Bible is setting us up here to note seven years Verses 13 is a bit of a hmm moment, if I can say it that way. All right, let's have a look at that temple. Uh, Like I said, Matt's going to go into the full details next week, but I want to observe two things about it. I want to observe about the ark, and I want you to see the things that he's asking from the temple. Okay? The ark and the asking. Uh, Let's have a look. We're going to chapter 8. So chapter 8 of One Kings. Uh, And I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tent of meeting, and all the sacred furnishings in it. If you didn't know already, the ark, uh, famous from Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you've not seen that movie, uh, the ark had been living in a tent. That's the tent that God had told them to make. It had been there the whole time. And now they were moving it from the tent into more salubrious uh, accommodation. 
the priests and the Levites carried them up. And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? They had been sacrificing and, yeah, there it was. Uh, did I get that, that through? Yes. Uh, and then we've got uh, in verse, uh, verse 10, uh, we see what happens after they placed the Ark of the Covenant in there. Verse 10, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service before, uh, because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I'm sure Matt's going to tell us next week, but the, the, the thing that happened here is they put the Ark of the Covenant in, And God's glory came into the building and said, this will now be my place. I approve of this resting house. And so God essentially has moved house from a tent to a building. Brilliant. Green light, Solomon. Fantastic work. God clearly approves. Great. Then we want to see what he asked in the temple. Now, chapter 8 is long. I know you can see that. He asked lots of things of God, but I want you to have a look with me at verses 27 to 30. Uh, says this. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built? Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer of your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you have said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer of your servant, that they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. What he's asking essentially is, God, if you're you're pleased with this, if you're going to take up residence there, can you please commit to listen when we pray from here? Can you listen? To us. And wonderfully, God is pleased to listen. And Solomon's prayer is God, would you make this place your centre? Would you listen to us from here? That's pretty good. So Solomon now has a temple, which God is living in, and a palace, which he is living in. And he's been dishing out the wisdom in thousands and thousands of proverbs. All looking pretty good. I got the green light up there. Well done and a warning. Well done and a warning. It's the next little section that we're going to have a look at. We'll go through to chapter 9 and verses 3 to 6. So chapter 9 and verses 3 to 6. And this is God basically talking to Solomon about what he's done. God appears to him a second time. So it appeared to him in a dream. And he now appears to him a second time. Says, my my eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. When I said... You shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you 
All your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I've given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land. It's a pretty weighty warning, isn't it? It's a bit like uh, the, the reading Matt gave us from, uh, had for us the other week from Deuteronomy. On the one hand, blessings. It'll go awesomely for you if you trust God. On the other hand, curses. If you turn away, God will turn away from you. Now, brothers and sisters, is there some smart choices to be made here? Box A, box B, which would you choose? It's your participation moment. Oh, you choose choice A. Amazing, I can't think why you choose. It's obvious, isn't it? Everyone would choose box A, wouldn't they? You would think so. Any logical person would choose box A. I I want you to think with me. These are one of the big ifs of following God. The ifs are blessings are before you if you will obey. The big if is will you choose to obey? And we were speaking this morning about saying it's easy to see the sins of others and often we can't see our own. I want you to know that as we look at what happens to Solomon, you're going to feel very, very right that he was an idiot. Okay? And the challenge is, as we look at him, is there something that we need to think about for ourselves as well? This next bit, just before we have a crash, is actually pretty good. It's about mission and money. Have a look with me. Uh, You've heard of the Queen of Sheba, have you? It's Again, if you've heard of Solomon, you've probably heard of the Queen of Sheba. Uh, And she comes to visit. That's the subject of that great painting I showed you before. She comes to visit King Solomon. And she has a look around, and this is what she says. So she comes from somewhere in North Africa. Um, Some people have sort of thought maybe Ethiopia, somewhere like that. But that far away, she'd heard of the fame of Solomon and had come from there to see what he had done. She brought with her a huge train of camels, And it said more spices than anyone had ever seen. So she was loaded up with goodies and she'd come to hear the wisdom of King Solomon. She said to the king, we're in 1 Kings 10, verses 6 to 9. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. How often are we like that, hey guys? It sounds incredible, but I'm going to go and check it out for myself. But I did not believe these things until I saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you a king to maintain justice and righteousness. Now, what's happening here? Who's speaking An Israelite? She's a foreigner. Someone who's come from the ends of the world to God's chosen people. To hear God's chosen king speak God's wisdom. What's happening here is the mission that Israel had been put on earth for. You're to be a light to the Gentiles, right? The nations are going to come to you. And here are the nations in the form of a foreign queen coming to Israel. And when they see, what does she say? Oh, you're very smart. 
Well, she does say he's smart, but what does she identify is the source of his wisdom? God. Can you see how it's actually mission here? That, that the wisdom of Solomon is overflowing, it's drawing the nations in, and instead of pointing to him, they are pointing to, to God. Now, incidentally, guys, that, that's our ultimate aim, isn't it? You and I don't want the glory to go to us. We want the glory to go to God, don't we? I think we see here beautifully the ideal. Wisdom from God, a beautiful life from God, leading to praise for God, not just the individual. I think that's great. And so I'm willing to say, green light, the mission was being fulfilled. That's great. I want you to note what else it says in chapter 10, however, in verses 23 and 27. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. Now, you know how they have those rich lists? Yeah? Rich lists. Top 100 or whatever. King Solomon is sitting on the top of the BOW top 100 list. He's the richest man in the world. He's a billionaire. In fact, it says, well, we'd have to invent a word like a squillionaire or something. Uh, He's so wealthy, it says, that they stopped counting silver in Israel because it had become like the sand of the shore. Only gold was valuable. That's how rich he became. So here he is. He's richer than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone came, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses and mules. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots. You can't ride them every day, can you? 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses and he kept them in chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. Kids, I'm going to have to do a bit of building. Uh, Daddy's got, only got, he doesn't have enough room in his stable at the moment. So he's going to build a city to look after some of his horses. Good gracious. Now, <laughs> a 1,400 chariot garage. That's very good. Lots of roller doors to put in. So suffice to say, that's, that's great wealth, isn't it? Even if those numbers are... I don't know, Lego bricks. You've got a lot, don't you? (laughs) Chariots, horses. That is power and influence and wealth. And it is extravagant in the the extreme. I want you to see a little bit from the book of Deuteronomy. Oh, hang on. Hold the phone. Oh, that's crazy. your indulgence for one second. Um, this has never happened to me before. I'm very excited about this. I, I just, we talked about, we're talking about wisdom today, aren't we? So I, lo- I love you. You're fantastic. Can I share something just very carefully? My battery on this thing lasts 10 hours. It was fully charged this morning. I have absolutely no idea what's happened. 
but I love you. And if we give him one second for that to go upstairs, I'm going to dig around and see if I've got a tiny little bit that'll plug it in, and we'll see what happens. Just play some thinking music. Turn around. Say the most exciting thing you've learned about Solomon. And just give me one second. <laughs> Gracious. On for the good guys. All right, aren't you wonderful? Thank you. Something about King Solomon, hey, I don't know. Let's click the next button and find out what's happening. Uh, the, the point was, uh, Solomon's riches kept flowing. They kept flowing. Just everybody who came to see him gave him something. He was rich already, and he kept being made richer every single day because of the wisdom that God had given him. I want you to see this bit in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, you will be blown away at what it says. This was said before they went into the promised land. Have a listen. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. Brothers and sisters, does that sound ominous? Absolutely. Solomon knew. He had to write out by hand a copy of the book of Deuteronomy when he became king. I promise you he wrote these words out. He knew. Have a look what happened. Apostasy and adversaries. Have a look at this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Does that sound good? No, it does not. In fact, in, verse 11, uh, in chapter 11, it says this, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. He had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. If we're looking for an example of wisdom, that cannot be it, can it? And I am not going to say some rude comment about it's hard enough with one or something like that. I'm not going to say that. I'm delighted to be married to my beautiful wife and it is a wonderful thing. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Those numbers are ludicrous, aren't they? The numbers of horses are ludicrous, the number of women are ludicrous, and the outcome is despicable. Wisdom is compromised, red light. The wives led him astray. I'm sure he wanted to please his wives. And in so doing, he built altars for them, and they took him there, and he devoted himself to them and built more and more and more until Israel turned into a land filled with other gods that his wives had brought. Solomon was massively compromised and showed himself, instead of being wise, to be a fool in this issue. Apostasy is turning away from God. Solomon turned away from God. And more than that, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. Can you remember where we started in chapter 3? The Lord was pleased that he had asked for this. Isn't this a tragedy? 
I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you, God said, and I will give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of your father David, I will not do it during your lifetime. Then the Lord raised up Solomon and uh, raised up against Solomon an adversary, Hadad the Edomite, from the royal line of Edom. Do you remember it started in peace? He's turned away to apostasy. He has lost God. He has lost peace, and he has lost the kingdom. Absolute tragedy. The dream is shattered. Red light. Red light. Cool stories. What can we learn? What can you and I learn? I think every one of us is having a David moment right now, aren't we? Where we go, we can see that that's stupid. Who would ever do that? Who would chuck away God's blessings for the sake of things that aren't required? Let me challenge you this morning. Number one. Ask God's help for competency and character. What did, David say, what did Solomon say at the start? I'm young, I can't look after this nation that you've given me. So say to God, here I am. Here are the challenges in my life right now. Give me the competency, the ability to do it, and the character to do it in a way that's pleasing to you. Now I know that each one of you will have challenges like that. I want you to see, go for God's heart in the situation, not just yours. So someone could have said, set me up. Make sure I have a remote control with all the channels. He doesn't say that. He says, God, you have entrusted me with this task. Give me a heart to administer justice in this place that you've got. I think we too often cheat and ask God for the solution to our problem rather than the character and the competency to be his solution. Yeah? God magically solved this rather than change me to be your solution here. Yeah? All right, number two. Having everything won't ever be enough. I have to say that to you. We always buy the lie that a little bit more will be better. Here's the man who, beyond everything else in the world, anyone who's ever lived, had everything. What was the outcome? He turned away from God. He lost everything. Learn contentment as true wisdom. Lord God, help us to be content. Do you see how this goes to character and not stuff? Give me contentment in my heart. Number three, finish well. Finish well. Over here, one of our values, we talk about being faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. Running the race to the end. I want to say to you guys today, we need to think seriously about finishing well. No one had a better start than Solomon. God appeared to him. God told him he was pleased with what he had asked for. He finished in apostasy and failure. I want you to make it to the end well. I want you to be standing true to God on the final day. Watch for compromise by degrees. It'll happen a little bit at a time. Maybe the 153rd wife will be a problem. That's a joke. (laughs) Solomon was compromised a little bit at a time. And it led him astray. Watch your life closely. Aim to finish well. How are you living at the moment? Are you living in a way that you can say is wise? Are you living at the moment and on the dashboard there's an orange light saying you have been warned. You know what you're doing is out of line with God's standard. 
you have been warned. And if today you're in that situation where you are wandering, I want to tell you today you need to stop. You will meet the living God and he will call you to account. And it won't be enough to say sorry on that day. Say sorry today and find the forgiveness in Jesus. Lastly, where's Jesus in the Old Testament, eh? Ah, Old Testament. Where's Jesus? I just, want to, I just want to give you this picture. Here's Jesus. Do you know what was happening in Solomon's reign? People were coming from the ends of the earth. They were bringing gold. They were falling down before him and saying, you're wise. Do you know what the picture of Jesus at the end is? In glory? This is the picture in Revelation. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. See, there's one king who is always true. There is one king to whom every knee will bow. There is one king to whom all honour is due. There is a king who is worthy of the title, king of the world, wisest, greatest. Jesus is the greater king. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Solomon because he helps us have that moment when we go, don't stop. We can see his sin. And Father, I pray that you would open our eyes now to see our own that we might turn from it, that we might run with perseverance the race that you've set before us, that we might endure until the end where we can honour Jesus as the greater King. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen.